With the COVID-19 pandemic forcing students in Athens TV into virtual learning, we tried to figure out how can we make this class experience better when you can't be doing video production on a daily basis. And the solution we came up with was guest speakers. high school Kimberly and where where were you at what were you thinking of going sure, absolutely so hello everybody good morning it's very nice to meet you all and thank you for coming and and letting me be a guest with you today uh, when I was in high school my career path that I chose to go on was something completely different than what I'm currently doing I wanted to be an interpreter and I wanted to work for the United Nations um, I speak six languages and I wanted to continue to do what I could to um, just meet other people and use those languages and travel. And I was in college and I needed a part-time job and I was working cosmetics at the department store. And a friend of mine um, was the makeup artist over at the ABC affiliate there in Detroit uh, for a TV show called Kelly and Company. It was on for like 20 years there. She needed an assistant and I liked doing makeup. So she said, come on over and let's work together. So. My first job was actually working at Kelly and Company um, as an assistant makeup artist to Robin Manoogian, who was the makeup artist. And um, almost everything I've ever learned in my life, I got my base from her. Um, I apprenticed with her and um, that's where I, I got to know what I wanted to know to do my job. Now, you can go to cosmetology school and get a license to do what I do for a living. You can also go to makeup academies um, for film as well. So everybody's segue into what I do is a different story. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing we're really trying to emphasize here with our list of speakers that, and fortunately, because I kind of promised no one's going to be the same. And fortunately, no one has been the same so far. Um, but wow, six languages, that's, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> do you think that's helped you at all in, your, in being on set? Um, I have traveled a lot with the movies I've worked on, and um, there's been countries that I've been to where I've been the only crew member that's been able to really speak with the locals. Um, for instance, when I was in Morocco, I was, um, I speak French, and so I was able to communicate with the locals and the cab drivers and people like that. Um, I'm going to be going soon on my next project that I'm working on to Thailand, and I do speak a little conversational Thai, so um, I'm going to be excited to be able to brush up on that as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, I was looking at your resume, or not your resume, but your, your bio, and, and I, I think of all the guests we've had so far, the names we recognize, like I think I saw four presidents in, in that you've worked with, and <laughs> Eight Mile, which of course here in Detroit is is legendary. So, you just want to talk because I'm sure this will be a question. You just want to talk about some of the interesting people that you have met. Um, not even more interesting than famous. You know who who have you really enjoyed working with? Well, Eight Mile was my very first movie, and I really enjoyed that show because of the fact that um, I was brand new. I was so green. I didn't know what I was doing. The makeup department had uh, Donald Moat, look him up, D-O-N-A-L-D-M-O-W-A-T, stellar, stellar makeup artist, a career that you'll just, it'll blow your mind, amazing guy, very talented. 
he came to town and one thing I like about Donald is that he, wherever he goes, he will always try to use the local crew as opposed to bringing in somebody from LA. So he interviewed me and I was not in the union. And part of working on a film set is you need to be in the union for what I do. So he interviewed me and he said, well, how would you do this? How would you put dirt underneath someone's fingernails if you didn't have dirt? So I thought about it and I explained what I would do. And then he said, okay, well, what would you do for this? And I explained what I would do. And he's like, you can think on your feet. I want to hire you. I know that you're not in the union, but I'm going to call the union and I'm going to make it happen. And he did. So he got me in the union and I was um, like, there's like a hierarchy in the makeup department. You have the makeup department head, you have the key who is your second in command, and then you have like a third and then you've got everybody else. So I essentially became um, like a day player and a third that he would call me quite often. And I worked many days on the show. So I never got to work with um, the actual stars per se, but I did do a lot of the background people. What was interesting about that is that um, I used to work with Eminem. Um, I've done many music videos with him. So it was, it was nice though, because I got to see him, but I wasn't, I didn't have to do his makeup, but it was a nice thing because he's a really nice man. He's a really, really good guy. Um, so that was pretty fun. The president's thing. The first person I dealt with was, um, ex-president, Mr. Bill Clinton. And how that kind of came about is he was coming into town to do like a town hall meeting and they needed a makeup artist. I had a brother who was in the secret service and he used to be a presidential guard for um, the first president Bush. And I think that they were able to expedite my security clearance because I already had one based on my brother's clearance. Sure. So because of that, I do have a high white house security clearance and I am allowed to be within three feet of a president. Well, that's good to have in your back pocket. That gets me, it can get me a lot of cool places <laughs> quickly. Yeah. It's, it's a good fact to drop, too. I, I don't even know what my security clearance is with the White House, so I don't know how many feet I'm allowed to be within the president. <laughs> it it wow. does. Yeah, they go through quite an extensive um, situation. My brother, who is, um, was the, the Secret Service agent, he then worked for the Army Corps of Engineers, and he just now got promoted into a job with the housing um, and development company. And again, we just had our whole family just had to go through another extensive security checklist because of his new security level there. So it's interesting. Yeah. On that, on that eight mile film, and, it, and maybe it's hard to tell because it was your first one, but was there any sense that you could feel of what that movie was going to become as you were Absolutely. working on it? Absolutely. Um, when you work on a film set, you can tell. You can tell by like the script, you can tell by the crew and how interested they are in it and how much effort they put into it. You can tell by the actors and what they want to do with it. And I do find that the more enthusiastic people are about their job when they come to work, the, the, the better product you're going to get in the end. But, you know, Marshall Mathers, I've known him for 22 years now. He, I do believe that he's always been destined for fame and greatness because he's always had that attitude and the positivity of not backing down and not stepping away from what he believes in. And when you have that kind of um, attitude to life, you're going to succeed no matter what you try out to do. Yeah. Um, well, on, so on a, on a set, are you, where does your direction come from? Like, are you working from the director down or the makeup director down? How, how does word get out of this is the we need this dirt under the fingernails, so to speak. <laughs> okay, so what happens is, um, let's take, for instance, like Bad Boys for Life. I just finished that movie, Bad Boys for Life. 
and I was the makeup department head and designer on that show. So what happens is the producers will get resumes, they'll look around and they'll think, let's bring in these people to interview with the directors. So once you get the call to come in to meet the director, what they'll do is they'll send you a script and you read the script and you have, you make any notations and comments, anything that you want to address directly with the director so that you can get um, a vision for what they want from you. So usually what I'll do is I'll break down a script. I'll go in with my breakdowns to the meeting and let them talk, ask me questions. And then when they say, get to the point where they're like, what are your questions? Then I'll say, well, in scene 55, this man has a bullet wound and are you gonna do that CGI or am I putting that on physically for you? Um, things like that. So what happens is you meet the director, you have the meeting, and then the directors give the yay or nay if they're gonna hire you. So once they decide who they're gonna pick, the producer calls you back and says, hey, you know, they really loved you, they wanna they want hire you. And then my agent will make a deal with the producer about what they're gonna pay me and all my things are. And then at that point, um, I start working with the costumes department and going, breaking down what the looks are for the, the different characters. And um, then I start creating my designs for how those characters are going to fit into the movie based on the director's vision and how the costuming is gonna work with that. That's a lot, lot to keep in, in order. Is there a particular director that you're, you're on his speed dial or do you just kind of freelance kind of all over the place, maybe more with a studio or how does I that work acquiring that job in the first place? Um, I freelance a lot. The, my next project is actually going to be with the same directors from Bad Boys for Life. So um, I, that, that was really great when I got the call from the producers. They were like, hey, listen, the boys are really happy that you're going to be on this show. So they want you. So that made me feel really happy that they appreciated my work and want me to come back. That's always a good thing. Being wanted is wonderful. All right, we it got is. a question from Brielle and I'm gonna let her unmute and she can ask. Okay. Uh, Hi, Brielle. Hi, I was just gonna ask how long does like the makeup usually take on a set? Good question. So how long does the makeup take on the set? It depends on the character and what it's for. Um, let's say you're working on a period piece movie. For instance, I did a movie called The Founder, which was based in the 1950s, and it was all about how Ray Kroc stole the McDonald's franchise away from the, the McDonald's brothers to make it what the McDonald's it is today. Um, I did Laura Dern's makeup in that movie. I also did um, Michael Keaton's. So Michael Keaton took me about 20 minutes every day because it's just a man's makeup, and I had to make him suntanned and healthy looking and bronzed, and it took about 20 minutes. With a period piece makeup, usually spend a little more time with the woman's makeup. It usually takes me about 40 minutes and that includes putting false lashes on. Now, I just completed a movie called The Tomorrow War. You haven't heard of it, it's not out yet. Chris Pratt's in it. And the lady um, from The Handmaid's Tale, the, uh, the mean character, um, Mrs. Waterford. And it took me 20 minutes to do her makeup because in this movie she was saving the world because it was the end of the world and she was the general of the army and they had no time for makeup. So my job there was just to kind of like clarify the skin, clean up any blemishes and make her look like herself. So that was literally less than 20 minutes to do that makeup. And so that depends. Now, let's say you're working on a show like Pose where you're really transforming characters into beauty queens. That's a good hour makeup on those type of makeups because that really takes a lot of time to get that makeup in place. Yeah, have you ever done any like I, I you're, you hear about like an X Men and whoever spends hours getting made up, and then I don't know if it's maybe this is great for you because you're working, but 
to me, it'd be frustrating to have to go back and do all that again the next day or the next time they need them in, in costume. Yeah. And how, how do you keep that straight? Like, how do you make it so, shoot, I got this, this blush here or whatever. And, you know, what's, what's the process like that? Um, that's what I do. We call that continuity. And so how we take care of that every day is, let's say, for instance, there was a movie I did where I had to put full body tattoos on an actor. How do you get those tattoos in the same place every day, right? So I have a clear ruler. I also look for different spots in the body, uh, like a mole. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll lay the tattoos where I need it, and then I'll take the ruler and measure, like, the, the crow's beak is... 0.4 centimeters from this mole. And then we take photos of it. And so then the next day when they come back in the trailer, we've got the photos next to us and I get the little measurer out, the tape measurer, and I make sure it's right. So a lot of things are uh, rulers, like measuring photos. We rely heavily on photos. And also when you're working with prosthetics, they're actually sculpted to that actor's face. So they should just like fit right into the crevice. And if they're off, you'll be able to see that. That's an incredible amount of attention to detail. And yet, you know, there's still those people out there that look, watch the movie, specifically trying to find when the crow's beak was pointing the other way on the, on the yeah. tattoo or something. <laughs> so that's, that's so are, nice of them to be helpful. <laughs> there are pages on the webs, webs, internet webs about people who like continuity mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Ava had a question. So Ava, I'll have you on mute. You can ask that. Hi, Ava. Hi. Nice to meet you. Um, how long did it take to be in the position you are today? I imagine it was worth it considering how successful you are. Well, thank you. Um, I started doing makeup in 1989. I am 52 years old. 1989, I graduated high school in 1985. When I first started in 89, I worked at the department store, um, Marshall Fields, doing makeup for Lancome. And I worked there for a few years. And then I started Kelly and Company like in 1990. Um, so I started professionally like in 1990. Eight Mile, my first movie was in 2000. So I've only been doing movies since the year 2000. So it's taken me, it took me about seven years as a working makeup artist before I was able to only rely on makeup to pay my bills. It does take a long time to get built up because I didn't start out doing film and television. I started out doing um, like bridal makeup and working in, in the department store. And then I segued into film and television. And even in my first few years in film and television, I still had to rely on doing bridal work on Saturdays to help pay my bills. So it took about seven years to get to that point. And one thing that I wanna say that's really important because so many people, for, I'm gonna just share a story with you. So last, my daughter was leaving middle school going into high school and she was in chorus. And there was a girl, they had to pick their electives for like their next grade year. And a girl in her class, decided she wasn't going to go in chorus. The next year she wanted to go to cosmetology school. And when the choral teacher found out the next day in class, she berated this girl in front of the entire class. And she said to her, why do you want to go to cosmetology school? You are stupid. And she said to her, You're, you have a better chance of making it on Broadway as a singer than of being a makeup person or a hairstylist and making money at it. My daughter felt so bad for the girl, she came home and told me the story. And I got really mad. So I took out my tax return and I copied the front page and I took out all the important information, but I circled the most important thing of what my made per year was. And I sent it to her with the letter and I said, you're a teacher and it's your responsibility to build children up. It's not your responsibility to take people down from their dreams. 
And I said, I make this much money per year. And I've got six kids in my family who are all in very professional type jobs. I've got a brother who's a doctor and out of all the kids in my family, I make more money than anybody else. So you cannot judge a book by its cover. You will go into a different career for a different reason, whatever your reason is, but your pay will only be commensurate with the, with the energy and love that you put into it. Because if you are there to just be there because it's a job, you're going to, that's what your paycheck's going to be. But the more effort you put into your life, the more enthusiasm you put into it, people recognize that and your paycheck will grow immeasurably with that effort. And I, I appreciate you saying all that because that's one of the reasons we're trying to have people in to show that this can be um, a reality. And um, I, I think you'll be happy to know that I only berate the students who don't want to go to cosmetology school. So. <laughs> No, but yeah, well, it's, you a it's attainable. And I like what you said about the enthusiasm. That's so important in anything that you do. Um, all right. We got, um, we got a question here about, um, I guess it's about bad boys too. I'll take this one for you, Zachary. Did okay. you meet Will Smith and Martin Lawrence? So some of my best days in the trailer are with Will Smith because he comes in every day and he either starts the day off with a joke or he starts the day off with a dance. He is genuinely one of the most nicest people I've met in my entire life. He's very philanthropic. He does things that nobody knows about behind the scenes. His son is actually the person who is most responsible for getting clean water to Flint. But you probably didn't hear about that because Jaden is kind of, kind of quiet about that. So yeah, Will Smith, I love him to death. He's really funny. And um, I was responsible. I did Martin's makeup for that show. So yes, I work with both of them closely every day. And it is, it is an everyday sort of thing as a makeup artist, right? Like, it's uh, every day. I was talking about how he's there kind of in the beginning as location manager, and then he's off to the next thing. But for you, you're, you're essential. So one thing that I let off this year with, because we're stuck here in this virtual land, <laughs> is, is hurry up and wait. And do you have to do a lot of that uh, in your position? Yeah. The, the biggest thing, and I saw the question, yes, I, I did also, the people whose makeup I did on um, Bad Boys, I did Martin's makeup and I did Vanessa's makeup. Those were the two people whose makeup I did do. Um, Will Smith had his own personal makeup artist, and then I divided the rest of the actors amongst my team of four people who worked for me. Um, going back to your question, Adam, it, it is. It's, there's always been disparity amongst crew because sometimes on set, the camera people and the grips and the gaffers, they see us sitting down and they're like, those makeup people, they're always in the way. They don't do anything. Why do they get paid so much money? You know, they're, they're useless. But if crew call is 7am, they don't see us getting there at 4am to get all the actors through the works to get them on set. So my day usually starts out two to three hours earlier than the rest of the crew. I come in Monday morning. I'm always at work by four or 4.30am every week, no matter what. So that kind of cuts your weekend short. Um, and getting people through the work. So once my job is done and we go to set and the cameras are rolling, at that point, my job is done pretty much. Um, I'm there for last looks. I'm there for little touch-ups. After lunch, we do a major overhaul and do all the touch-ups again, like a full uh, new, new overhaul makeup on the people. But once those two major parts of my day are done, I can sometimes go back to my trailer and work on administrative duties while I leave my people on set to do the touches if they need them. Um, so you're, 
I would have, I've never really been on a, especially a major film set, but I would imagine you're one of the fewer people who's having sort of this one-on-one interaction with the people uh, that are starring in it. And do you find that, you know, are, are they continuing to rehearse lines while they're sitting there? Are they working or is that time almost a release for them? Do you get to interact with them on a personal level? Sometimes maybe be like their, their psychiatrist. I don't know. Like, is it, is it, it probably varies, but what are, what's the average Will Smith comes and sits down, you know, what happens in that 20 minute window? Well, I don't know what happens with Will because he's got his own personal people, but usually I've seen him kind of come in and be very contemplative and like think over his day's work. Um, with Martin, Martin very rarely spoke. He would come in and he'd say, good morning, Kim. I'd say, good morning, sir. Have a seat. How are you today? Well, I'm good. I would do his makeup and then he'd get up and say, thank you. I'll see you out there. Uh, with Vanessa, we, she was more fun. She'd come in, we'd put like her favorite songs on the radio. We would like sing a little bit. Um, she ended up being a really fun person to work with. My daughter is, um, this is her first year of college. She's only 18. So my daughter really loved her from all the high school musicals. So she'd come to the set once in a while. And Vanessa ended up like, oh, I got this shirt in the mail today. Somebody gave it to me. It's not my style. Do you want it? So they became friends. And that was kind of fun too. Like my daughter's grown up with some of the actors. So you do become friendly with them. And like outside of work, like I'll text people like, um, I've just been really getting into a TV show called Bloodline lately. Bloodline's a show that was filmed in uh, Florida. And an actress I've worked with three times who I had no idea was in that movie, that TV show, Linda Cardellini. Um, you know, she's really getting a lot of fame right now because of like um, Dead to Me. She's really getting a lot of fame with that, with Christina Applegate. And so I texted her the other day. I'm like, oh my God, Linda, I had no idea you were in this show. Like, you're amazing. And she's like, oh my God, it's so good to hear from you. So yeah, you develop these like relationships with people because you're like family. Once you're on a film set and you're working 70 hours a week with people, I've seen everybody naked. I've seen everybody um, eating foods they say they're not gonna eat. Um, I hear phone calls that I'm privileged to that I never discuss because of the fact that that's just my honor. Um, you know, it's like things that happen in the makeup chair, stay in the makeup chair and things that you see the actors doing, that's their private time. But because of the fact that I am the closest to the actor besides the director, um, you have to really get to learn how to read people. Like you really have to see like when they're welcoming to um, doing their touch-ups or if they need anything, um, that type of situation. Right, well, Wadies has a question I bet because you got just, that IMDB, Kimberly, holy cow, it goes on and on. So uh, let's have him unmute here. Go ahead, ladies, if you want to ask. Uh, what was uh, your favorite movie you didn't make up for? Hi, good morning. Um, one of my favorite movies uh, was called Triple Nine. And the reason I loved it so much is I got to meet Kate Winslet on that movie. And then I got to work with her after that. She requested me for another movie to work with her called Insurgent. Um, I like that movie because there were some really great actors in there. There was Chiwetel Ejiofor, Anthony Mackie, um, Norman Reedus, Gal Gadot, Kate Winslet, all awesome people to work with. And it was a cop killer thriller show. And it was just, it was a good time. It was fun. Uh, the director was top notch. Everything about it was fabulous. I liked that show. Um, Bad Boys Forever will be in my heart because the directors were such awesome people. Those are like my probably two favorites. I imagine it's pretty cool to see, like you probably are a pretty good judge of acting ability because you, 
you can observe a lot that's happening on the set that we are definitely not going to see even like in behind the scenes on a DVD. Um, can you just talk about the talent that some of these actors actually possess? Because I think so much we take for granted about what we are seeing on screen. Yeah. Um, there are so many actors, like, when you look at them, you're like, really? And then there's some you're like, holy moly. Um, Bob De Niro was one of those for me. Like, I knew he was going to be, like, awesome just because, you know, he's Bob. I did two movies with him. And... I was a personal for him on Dirty Grandpa, so I had to relate with him every morning and go into his trailer to do his makeup and take care of him. And he's just like a normal guy. Like every day he's like, he's a dad, you know, he calls his wife, he's a normal person. Um, really nice man. But something about like when they get out of that trailer and they get on set and they have like this switch in them that just clicks over to acting. And then you're just like, I've like been in a scene where I've watched actors work and like, I will, cr I've cried because their acting was like so good. It made me feel what they were feeling. And to feel that and to be in that presence at the time, it's like mind opening. You're like, wow, like this is art. Like these people, they know their art. It's truly amazing when that happens. Building what, on what Ava asked earlier in terms of getting where you've gotten. Um, and then, you know, Robert De Niro, he's Bob to you. How was there ever, are you ever starstruck? Or how long did it take you to get over this, you know, for most people seeing a movie star walking through the airport, we're going to, we're going to get our phone out. This is going to be huge. But for you, it's just kind of an everyday experience. Was that something you had to get used to or? Yeah, kind of. Um, I don't, I'd say before I did makeup, I also worked in music videos and I, I, I traveled with a lot of bands on tours and things like that. Um, so I kind of got over the starstruck thing, dealing with musicians first. And then when it segued into actors, there was only a couple that I'm kind of like, oh, I'm nervous to meet. Every time I start a new project, I'm nervous. I'm very nervous. I get like the whole week before, I have like the stomach turmoils and um, like, am I good enough? Am I gonna do this? Am I gonna represent the directors the right way? Are they gonna like me? Um, am I gonna click with this actor? So it is, but somebody once told me, that that's how you know that you're still relevant is because you still care. So that is a big deal to me. Two stories. The first one, um, I was working on American Idol and it was Motown week and I got, they were, I had to do Smokey Robinson's makeup. Never in my life has this happened to me, but he walks in the room and I, he looks at me and he's the most gorgeous person I've ever seen in my entire life. His skin is flawless. It looks like velvet. His eyes are the most amazing emerald green. And they introduce him to me and they're like, Kimberly, this is Mr. Robinson. And I just was so like, I said, hello, Mr. Robinson, I'm Mrs. Jones. <laughs> and he, he could tell like right away, I was like, and he's like, it's so nice to meet you. But he was like the kindest guy, didn't do anything about it. Second person I've ever been that way with was Bob. Um, the first movie I did with him was Last Vegas and I didn't do his makeup, he had a personal, but I was the makeup department head and I did Mary Steenburgen. And Every day on set, he would talk to me, like just normal, because I was close with Mary. And so Mary would talk to him and he'd be like, Kimberly, you're from Atlanta, tell me the good restaurants. Kimberly, you're from Atlanta, tell me, you know, where should I go this weekend? Where's a good park I can go to? Things like that. So we had like a normal working relationship and then I didn't see him for a few years. So when they hired me to do Dirty Grandpa, I had to fly out to New York to meet him a couple of times. And the first time he met me, he's like, I know you. I'm like, yes, Las Vegas. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, good, okay. Then he didn't talk to me again. 
the second time I flew out there, it was supposed to be for a meet and greet again to try to like, while his barber was giving him a haircut. And again, he was like, oh, hi, it's nice to see you. Didn't talk to me again. So the third time it's the camera test before the show. And um, I go out there and I do his makeup and he's like, okay, thanks. So every morning I'd have to go to, to his trailer to do his makeup. And he had some special things that I couldn't do. Like I wasn't allowed to stand in a certain place because it would block his view of the TV and I had to like switch the way I did makeup and I'm right-handed. So it was kind of hard for me. I was kind of like left-handed working. And so every day to annotate to the fact to him that I was finished, I would say, okay, Bob, have a great day. I'll see ya. So on the fifth day I was leaving the, his trailer and he goes, Kimberly. And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, are you going somewhere? I go, sir. And he goes, every day you say to me, okay, Bob, I'll see ya. Bye. And he's like, I always wonder, like, is she going to be there when I go out there? Like, what if I need something? Is she there for me? Like, what's going on with Kimberly? And I'm like, Bob, I'm so sorry. I just tell you that. That way you know I'm done with you because you're always busy doing something. And I don't want you to think I'm just getting up and leaving. So that was like a good icebreaker because from then on, I wasn't um, like so like afraid to be in his presence anymore. I just like acted normal and he was cool. So, yeah. Well, these, these are great heartwarming stories. We have a question from Michaela. She wants to know if you've had any, um, any rude experiences, and you don't need to name names, of course, but if someone is a true Hollywood star or whatever, or being rude, how, how do you roll with that? Well, the first thing I want to say is that the longer you're a star in Hollywood, the older you get and the more accolades you have, I have found in my experience, the nicer they have, they are people. Because they realize that everybody is a human being and everybody is there to make the project come to fruition. It's the people that I have found in my past that have been rude, that are the ones who are just starting out or the up and coming ones, or who have a lot of notoriety at the time because they're being noticed for something that tend to be the rude people. But yes, I've had people like that in the past. I got to imagine that's difficult and I am not naming a name here. I'm just pulling a Britney Spears example out of thin air. But if the project is about Britney Spears and she's being mean to the makeup artist, they're probably not going to fire Britney Spears, right? They're not going to yeah. cancel the project because of that. So that, I feel like that really puts you in a difficult position where you just, there's no recourse. The thing about that is yes, stars do have the ability to get people fired and people have been fired after the camera test many times there's like a joke in my business is like you don't really have a job until you're eating off the crafty table um which is kind of true <laughs> um and people have been fired for that um i am superstitious so i'm going to knock on wood and say thank god that's never happened to me um but i have seen it happen to other people and it's a chemistry thing too sometimes you just don't click with that particular actor or they don't like your personality for some reason and so either you can really try to do your best to be professional about it and, and just think of it as a working relationship and not have like the camaraderie that goes along with it. Um, or you can actually see if, if like another member of your team would like to take on that person and then you can switch that actor out to somebody else. But it's hard to do when they're like number one through number five because those people, usually I'm always number one, number two, maybe number three, but it depends on what's happening with the actors. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that the longer they're in, the more awards they have, the nicer that they get. Um, and on that note, you, you've, been, you've had a lot of career success. You, what's it like to be out there competing 
for these really major awards in uh, in your field. Like that's a huge honor. And I'm guessing you did not get into this business uh, wanting to be a translator and then find yourself as a makeup artist. You probably didn't say, I want to win Emmys or I want to win an Academy Award. So <laughs> what's, what's it like to get that consideration? Because awards are something that we we have a lot of opportunity here to compete for. And it's something that I push, not necessarily because you want to win. So what what's that world like for you to be a part of? Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head right there when you said that you don't go into the project hoping to win an award, but you go into the project. If you put your, all you can do is go into a project and put 150% of your effort into the project. And if you do that, then you become award worthy, like um, to be nominated for something. But if you don't put in that work, you're not, it's not gonna, the work's not gonna be out there for you to be able to be nominated. So I've never once said to myself, I want to be nominated for an Emmy. That'd be awesome. Um, but I did go into every job saying, this is a really great project. So let's see what I can do to make it the best it can be. Um, I was actually really shocked when I was put on the ticket for Ring of Fire because of the fact that I was not an everyday makeup artist working on that TV show. That show was about the June Carter Cash story. And I was brought in just to do the aging makeup on the Johnny Cash character. So the department head, who is a friend of mine, um, Jerry Jeebe, and his key, Susan Ransom, they did the everyday work every single day of the job. I was only brought in for probably seven days out of the entire job. So when they were nominated for the Emmy, for them to put my name on that ticket, it was a big deal because usually only two people's names can go onto that ticket. So in order to get somebody added on, you have to apply to the Emmy and like make a case for why this person deserves to be on that ticket. And when they did that to me, it was just very heartwarming because I never even expected it. So it was a great honor and a very big honor. Now, one thing I can say that I've always been a proponent of, and I've always done this my entire life, and I always have tried to nurture my children into doing the same thing, is to set up a goal system in your life. Because you need to have a, a one-month goal, a yearly goal, a five-year goal, and a 10-year goal. And the reason you need to do that is because you need to hold yourself accountable for what you want to do. Because there's nobody else out there that's going to hold you accountable for what your dreams are. So you are responsible for that. So if, the, if film and television is where you want to be, then make yourself those goals. And say, okay, and I'm, I live in Detroit right now. In the next year, I want to continue my schooling here at Athens. From there, I'm going to see what local opportunities I have at the colleges here. After I do that, I want to move to LA or New York or, you know, Atlanta. And I want to start delving into working in lighting. That's my genre. And then in seven years from now, I want to work on a major fun TV show. And your goals can be small and your goals can be large. But the point is, is making yourself accountable for what you want in your life. And that's how you're going to attain what those things are. Good advice for everyone. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is good stuff. Um, how about when you look out at others in your field, we all have people that we admire in our own field. How do you know what good makeup looks like on screen? 
because for me, it's one of those things, like I was talking about taking good acting for granted. Like you just get so absorbed. And I, that's probably maybe one way to judge it. You just feel like we're in the 1700s because of the, the makeup. But like, what do you look for? And what do you consider to be a high level of talent or a marker of that in your field? Well, when you're watching a period piece to make sure that it's the correct period for that actually product, project, um, there's period pieces out there right now that have been done recently that um, are a little period correct, but they've got a lot of modern flair to it. But it's great makeup still. Like for instance, if you've seen The Great on Hulu, which is about Peter the Great and Catherine, um, the makeup on Elle Fanning is pretty fabulous. It's not true to the period, it's really close to the period with modern flair to it. That's really great makeup. Um, so it's taking what you can in adding your flair to it without making it like, well, that's a, like a 2020 brow put on a 18 Victor 1800s Victorian makeup. So you have, there's a fine line between merging those two things. So that's a good makeup. Uh, when it comes to prosthetics, just not being able to see lines where you where the glue meets, not when you turn heads, not seeing wrinkling in the neck and things like that. Um, like some of the best makeups out there, Star Trek, all the Star Trek makeups are the most fabulous alien makeups you could ever do. Uh, anything V. Neal does, amazing. I mean, she's Pirates of the Caribbean, Edward Scissorhands, Beetlejuice, all that, fabulous makeups. Um, you know, Bill Corso, one of our best makeup artists of this time, he does a lot of fabulous work. So you can tell though, sometimes I'll look at the show and I'll be like, whoa. And I don't wanna like name names because these people are, you know, current artists. But one thing I've always tell people too is that, again, don't ever judge a book by a cover because you don't know the time constraints or what that person was up against. I have told a director once, they wanted me to do a special prosthetics piece on somebody and they said, well, how long do you need for that? And I would say, oh, that's a two hour project okay, great, we'll mark it down, we'll make sure you have two hours. And then the day of, they come in and they're like, we're running so far behind today, we know you have that two hour prosthetic, we're giving you 45 minutes. Oh. And so sometimes when, you know, you don't, people don't know, people in the audience don't know what that makeup artist went through to get that piece to where it has to be. So whenever I'm watching things and I'm thinking, well, it's not so great, I try not to judge and I think, well, God, what, what could have happened that day? Like, did, were they cut short on time? Was the lighting not good? Like something had to have happened because nobody wants their worst work being put out on, onto screen ever. And that was, when you're talking, I was wondering if, if we do see bad makeup on screen, is it really the artist's fault or, you know, maybe the director's the one that's ultimately responsible for what this whole production is going to look like. So I'm glad you yeah. take that into account and give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah to do that because you know what we're all humans nobody is 100 percent perfect and in the scope of a movie you've got 200 crew members trying to make everybody's dream come true and so everybody thinks that they're the most important chisholm in the you know in the, the cog in the wheel but you have to have every cog in the wheel or it's not going to be great yeah. all right well we got a, a pretty good question timely question here from angelo uh go ahead angelo uh, hello, Miss Jones. How are you? Hi, Angela. Welcome. Uh, so my question just like was how has the movie industry changed and like how have you had to change your way of doing makeup since the virus has happened? You know, because I feel like a lot of movies had to stop filming 
which means yes. you had to stop working if you're on that film. So how does yes. that happen? That's a great question. Um, it has changed the way movies are filming immeasurably. Um, I also think it has changed the way movies film for the foreseeable future. I can't even fathom it getting back to normal within the next two years. Things have just started back up here in Georgia. During the pandemic, I took my time to be to make myself as educated as possible. I am I took seven certifications in COVID-19 on how to get back to work safely. I took two OSHA classes that I'm certified in, three IOTC training trust fund classes, and I took 37 two-hour classes on like um, basic makeup stuff just to keep myself busy and to keep my mind occupied. Um, with my new project starting, um, what we're doing is they're breaking people down into pod systems. You've got group A, B, C, and D. Group A will wear green wristbands, which means that they are 100% able to be on set and within the space of the actors. Then group B will be yellow wristbands. These are the people that are allowed to be on set, but when the actors come to the set, they can't be there any longer because they're trying to minimize the amount of bodies on set. Group C will be maybe red wristbands, and those people only work in the office, they're not allowed on set. Then you'll have group D, which maybe has blue wristbands, which means maybe they're, the, um, they're distant location working from home type people that when they come on set, they're D, but they're only allowed in the office. So um, they've really broken it down that way. As far as makeup and hair goes, um, we're practicing social distancing. Disney is, has a 154 foot rule that you can only, I'm sorry, inches, not foot. 154 inches rule where you have to be 154 inches away from the next crew member. So in the makeup trailer, we'll have 10 stations to work where usually we'd have eight makeup and hair people working in there um, at the same time. And that meant eight actors could come in the trailer at the same time. But now we're doing every other chair, which is about seven feet apart. So now we can only do four people with four actors at the same time. Um, PPE, uh, personal protection equipment, we have to wear goggles, we have to wear a double mask, um, a surgical mask with a fabric mask on top and then a face shade. Some productions are making people wear robing. I have purchased myself some black um, medical, like doctor's wear, what are those called? Um, like a surgical gown? Yeah, no, not a surgical gown, a jacket. Hazmat suit? <laughs> those white jackets that doctors wear, lab coats. I've purchased All myself some lab coats that I will put on top of my clothes to wear um, while I'm working as well. Wow. It's, I mean, we know it's going to change everything, but it's just kind of like with the school. There's just so many different moving parts. And I guess, I mean, at the school, we're concerned about everyone's education, of course, but there even there's the pressure of making money and really trying to get back to it. And I'm I'm wondering what it's going to do to the film industry. And I guess on that note, you in Atlanta, what, how long ago did you go to Atlanta and what gave rise to Atlanta as a filmmaking destination? Uh, Atlanta has always been kind of a film destination for quite a while before even Michigan had the film credits. Atlanta was busy first with Walking Dead was like the main thing that they filmed here. Some other things as well. Um, and from um, or how did Atlanta become so prevalent? Yeah, just like, well, with all these streaming giants out there now, you know, how's, 
how's everything changing? Because I know Michigan, we lost our film credit, so we don't have as much here, but then someone else pops up. But it seems like the, the power of the coasts, L.A. and New York, they're probably going to be around for a while, but it feels like it's starting to spread out a little bit more, like in New Mexico where Netflix yeah. has a studio. Deadline just did a, um, a piece on Atlanta and saying that Georgia actually is now becoming the number one place for filming and for post-production. Um, I think the reason it is is because we have the infrastructure. We have at least 20 large sound stages. We can compete with LA. Um, we've got great crew. Like in my department, I've got people from LA coming here all the time to work. So um, it says something. If you're not working, you know, if you're if you're not working in your hometown and you're going here, um, it's because we need more people. And um, so there's a lot here. New Mexico, Netflix, they did. They just bought like a major studio there. And um, I heard there's like going to be 60 stages. Yeah, something Netflix. ridiculous like that. Just mm -hmm. But Netflix also films here. Like they film um, Ozark here. Yeah. And I did Ozark. The, I designed Ozark the first season of Ozark. That was me. Um, I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, so I, Ozark might be a separate call between you and me. I'm a fan <laughs> of the show, and it, I don't know how many students watch it, but yeah, it's it's just amazing to see the the sheer number of productions that are taking place out there now. With all, everyone has their streaming service now, and I don't know what's the I don't know what's going on in Atlanta, but here the theaters are still shut down. So the movie industry, you wonder what's going to happen to that, but it's, it's, you really feel like these streaming giants are going to fill that void. So we're always going to need makeup people. Um, maybe, I suppose, because you mentioned CGI earlier. So can you foresee, has it maybe even already happened a time when technology begins to replace a little bit of what it is that you do? Talk about that at the very beginning of the pandemic that they were just going to either have actors do their own makeup or they were going to try to do it CGI. You know, CGI though, it's, it's still very expensive. It's still like $360 an hour to, you know, just paint things into CGI. So that's not really cost prohibitive at this yeah. point, <laughs> but the, I'm sure that there will be somebody that comes up with it. I know that my friend, um, has been developing software to show people like um, how he can change makeups from like a regular face to like a face that has prosthetics on it. So computers, you know, unfortunately, I think they're too prevalent what they can do these days. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would agree. I, I like the, uh, the authenticity that, you know, makeup or and you're right, like here still, we have no live performances still in Atlanta. Um, all theaters have closed down. Um, our son is a professional violinist and he has had, I think four concerts that have been canceled and have been yet to re been rescheduled because of uh, the COVID. Yeah. But one thing I Hopefully wanna say- this, Yeah, go ahead. This, sorry to interrupt you, but this is really important to every student that's out there. Please, please don't ever let your family members, please don't ever let your friends tell you that you can't do whatever it is in your heart because you can, you can do anything you set your mind to. This job is very prevalent, what we do in the film and television industry. And if anybody wants to fight that, the best thing you can say to them is, when the pandemic happened, what did you do with your time? 
what did you do? And most people will say, well, you know, I watched Netflix, I watched Hulu, I maybe played games with my kids, I listened to music. And the one thing that all of those things have in common is the arts. Arts are needed and arts are prevalent. And how many politicians will tell you they're not? How many people want to take that away from you? At the end of the day, I'm a family of four people and everybody in my family, my husband, myself, my two children, we are all in the arts and we are all doing well. So please know that you can have that dream. And to this day, I've been doing makeup for what, 30 years now? My mother still thinks that I'm the Avon lady. When I said to her, when I told her that I was nominated for an Emmy, she was like, well, what's that? I'm like, okay, I understand, I have to explain. But um, people are gonna get it or they're not gonna get it, but don't be discouraged. You do what's good for you. Well, that's, that's all I was really hoping you were gonna say today, Kimberly. <laughs> and then you filled in all that other great backstory that I, my daughters, they're five and six. So they do makeup and that's about as familiar as I am. And you can imagine what that looks like when they come downstairs on their face. So it's great to hear from a pro and how you play really an integral part in bringing these stories to life. 